Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Milwaukee's Tailgate, your Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garshinsky. Uh, with me today is J.P. Breen. Hello. And Ryan Top. Hey. How are you guys doing today? Oh, I'm all Swarzacked up. All Swarzacked up. Yeah, we said we were going to talk about the uh, trade deadline in our preview, and all of a sudden the Brewers made a trade an hour, hour and a half before we started record- recording here? About that, yeah. Yeah. It was it was actually nice enough for them to do it, not while we were recording, but right before it helped us out quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. So, Ryan, you want to tell us what the trade was? The Brewers traded outfielder Ryan Cordell for relief pitcher Anthony Swarzak. Jim, your thoughts? Uh, it's it, I don't necessarily think that it was expected in terms of trading for a reliever that wasn't going to be controlled going into 2018. I I, I do think that everybody expected the Brewers to trade from depth, which they did with Ryan Cordell. Uh, They had a lot of outfielders, especially high in the minors. So that made a lot of sense, but I'm surprised that it was for somebody that was primarily a rental. Um, I know that Ryan had a lot of thoughts about, uh, about rentals. He seems to be a little bit happier about it than I thought he would be. Oh, yeah. This really doesn't bother me that much because, I mean, Cordell's an interesting prospect. He has some legitimate big league upside. But honestly, they were going to have to pick somebody up. They were going to have to spend something in their prospect capital to do this. And Cordell just doesn't, he doesn't upset me. To lose him does not upset me. It's not that he can't be a good player, that he couldn't, you know, become actually a legitimately really good big league player down the road somewhere. But it's just, it doesn't seem all that likely to me. And giving him up for a rental, that's okay. It's part of the cost of doing business when you're in a position like they are. I think you have to do something. You have to do, to to put in some sort of an effort for the fans, for the owner, for uh, the players. You have to do something to show that, like, this is being rewarded. So, well, how, how much do you think this helps out the bullpen? I think it actually helps out the bullpen, especially in the back end, quite a bit, just because it gives you a guy who's had a lot of success, can miss bats, and is different than Carlos Torres or or some of the guys that you're just hoping can hold it through for an inning. Uh, I do think that a a couple of big points about the trade in general and Swarzak is Swarzak's actually been pretty poor against lefties this year. I know that a lot of people have talked about how he's had success against righties and lefties because lefties are only hitting 179 against him this year. But his walk rate, much, much higher against righties. He's only uh, walking 4.9% of the batters. Against lefties, he's walking 11.1. And his strikeout rate goes all the way down to 175 against lefties. And as a fastball slider sort of pitcher, that makes a lot of sense. He doesn't really have an out pitch against lefties. So... It'll be interesting to see how Council utilizes Swarzek, knowing that he does have that in his repertoire uh, to, to handle righties, just absolutely dominate righties uh, this year. But lefties are not going to be a kind of guy, a, a kind of inning in which two or three lefties are up to bat. Swarzek's not going to be an eighth inning guy that you just put him out there no matter what. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Hopefully it, it eases a little bit of the burden that the bullpen's carrying right now since uh, they're starting to look a little gassed and I think they need some reinforcements. So, I will say one more thing about Cordell just because people have actually – there have been people like Chris Crawford have said, you know, Cordell's a nice player. 
uh, and some people saying that he actually is a big leaguer. And I actually like Cordell quite a bit. But for the Brewers, Cordell is the kind of guy that was taking up a 40-man roster space that next winter when you're looking at the Rule 5 draft again is going to not have a path towards playing time in 2018. And that is going to be taking up spots from guys like uh, Jacob Nottingham is going to need a spot on the 40-man roster next year. Uh, Mauricio Dubon is going to need a spot on the 40-man roster. Freddie Peralta is going to need a spot on the 40-man roster. And even maybe even Devin Williams is going to need a spot on the 40-man roster if they want to protect him. And they're probably going to go to free agency and or the trade market. So if they didn't see Cordell as being a guy who is going to be in the big leagues next year, he's going to be just taking up a 40-man roster spot that they were going to have to do something with next year. So that's the kind of move that made a lot of sense, even though it was for a rental and is just not going to be a headliner for a big guy like Sonny Gray, Verlander, somebody like that. Okay. Well, it's good that they finally, I don't know, made a move. I think people were kind of getting a little... uh... It had itchy trigger fingers there. They wanted to see something happen. So um, before we get too far, just wanted to mention that uh, you could follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. And then you can also send us questions at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Don't forget about Bookface. And and we're on Facebook, but I think Ryan's handling that. So the quality of the posts there may vary. I can't vouch (laughs) for it. Wow. It Um, took you, what, five minutes? All of five minutes. Okay, and then also I want to mention that uh, we are getting some help from Sound Devices. We're recording currently on a Mix Pre 6. Uh, if you haven't heard of Sound Devices, check it out. They make premium audio gear. They're out of Wisconsin here. Sound Devices offers high-end audio equipment for major Hollywood production, all your uh, top programming that you're watching on TV and everything else. So uh, check it out, sounddevices.com. So, okay, let's get into it. Uh, the Brewers. We were looking pretty good here going into the all-star break and then out of the break, they go three and seven in the first 10. Um, what are you guys thinking about that right now? It was sort of inevitable that they were going to cool down at some point. I mean, they hadn't had too many extended periods of lackluster play, so it was going to happen at some point. It happens to all teams, even the best teams, but I don't know. This It, it felt like they are... We're seeing some of the things that are underlying the uh, some of the underlying problems that this team has, where the the offense can uh, disappear at times, just for if for no other reason than they just the quality of the players that they have up and down the lineup isn't fantastic. It's they have they have some good players, they have some guys that are that are quite capable, but they don't have multiple absolute lineup anchors in the middle of things to really hold things down. And then there are some players that, you know, are in and out of the lineup that are, you know, they're not ideal players that you'd want on a contender. Well, I guess how much of this is optics because he had the Cubs go on an eight and two run when the Brewers go three and seven. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's a huge issue in which the key contender that everybody has been waiting to wake up suddenly goes on a run after the all-star break and the brewers go on the road and and they struggle and not only did they struggle they lost a lot of close ball games and a lot of close ball games in which runners were left in scoring positions the bullpen cost a couple uh, of games just in terms of blowing things up at the end and so a lot of they weren't blowouts in which people just kind of turned off the game after the third inning or the fourth inning they stuck through the entire game and watched with frustration as the cubs won and then the Brewers weren't able to pull it out. And 
it, it, I mean, it is frustrating and it's difficult to be able to explain to people that, you know, being upset or being frustrated is, is legitimate. And I mean, certainly expected, but that one game or a string of games or even a week isn't predictive in terms of what's going to happen over the course of the entire year. And so it's trying to find that happy balance of being upset and just kind of flushing it and going into the next game and realizing that, you know, the team that was there for a good part of three and a half months didn't suddenly disappear just because the all-star break happened or they're suddenly scared of the Cubs or they need reinforcements to come in or something like that. So it's, it's certainly optics. And to be honest, being on, on Twitter and seeing what a lot of Brewers fans are looking at, everybody's been looking for the Brewers to take a step back. And so the moment in which everybody saw something start to happen that everybody was afraid of, that narrative is a little bit difficult to resist. So you're saying so it's, I think, it's a little bit of confirmation bias. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is like, if anybody deluded themselves into thinking the Cubs weren't good because they were <laughs> underperforming wildly, their rotation was terrible and they were still 500. Like if everything goes wrong and you're still 500 or a game or two out of 500, you're probably a pretty good ball club. Okay. And so, so they're racing to the finish now. Well, I guess not quite racing. There's about two months left, but still they're, they're tied with the Cubs for the most part at this point. What are we thinking going forward with the roster they have? Is that something that you guys think they can hold up on or are they going to need reinforcements pretty quick? I feel like the buy-in still to really compete in the division, you have to think you can get to 90 wins to compete at all with the Cubs to even have any hope. I think the Cubs have a pretty good chance of going well past 90 wins, but to even be in the discussion, to even talk about it, I think you have to think 90 wins. And the Brewers roster has, you know, I thought coming into the year was a low 70s win team. It's clearly a lot better than that, but I can't. I just can't say that I, I really see like a 90 win team here in any, you know, likely scenario. Yeah, they could, it could happen, but I just don't see it as likely. So in a way, the fact that they've had this swoon right now when they've had it is I think somewhat ideal because I think it took a little bit of the pressure off of all the bye, bye, bye talk that had been going on where they can really episode one. And we're putting in in sync. Yeah, apparently is solid. Yeah, yeah okay. Go, but okay. yeah, but the idea that okay, so they did this right before the trade deadline or in the days leading up to the trade deadline. I think in a way that kind of works out for them because I don't they weren't really I don't see set up to be a a, a true like 90 win team. So to buy on that assumption if they were, you know, still 3-4 games up in the division, buying makes a lot it, it, there's a much more of an impulse to do it. And now I think that that's largely been dulled and they aren't going to have to, I don't I, I have to worry about that. One of the things that we don't necessarily talk about enough is the fact that the pirates actually aren't a bad squad. I mean, anybody looking at that pirates series, I mean, it was every single arm they put out there. It was like, Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyon, even Chad Cool is, you know, is a good pitching prospect in the in the broader scheme of things. Ivan Nova, you know, Felipe Rivero's out there throwing 92 mile an hour changeups to to go with a slider and a 101 mile an hour fastball. Juan Nicasio's been awesome. You know, Tony Watson still is a good pitcher, even though he he got out of the uh the closers role. Like 
the the pirates if you look at the pirates and you actually think to yourself where do the pirates buy it's not the outfield josh bell's at first base josh harrison's solid they're good behind the plate with cervelli maybe up the middle at at shortstop or second base but they're actually pretty solid there too and they don't need help in the rotation so I don't necessarily know what's wrong with the Pirates other than they're a good ball club who put together a good sweep of the Brewers. So it's it's a tough position for the Brewers to be in because they kind of squandered that that lead that they had built really early. Still a good ball club, still better than I think all of us thought prior to the season. But, you know, the Cubs and the Pirates are probably the exact team that we thought they were too, and they're going to be coming back to roar in the second half as well. Okay, uh, now the Brewers have been connected to a few names in trade talks. It's kind of cooled in the last few days with the uh, losing streaks, uh, poor showing. Um, and there still seem to be connected to a few guys. So uh, we'll just start off with Sonny Gray. What do you guys think the chances of getting Sonny Gray, and what do you think he'd add to the team? It seems less likely than it was before. So it's we're definitely headed uh in a negative direction in that way, I think from the the reports, the latest reports that we've seen as of like Tuesday, he uh, he's a guy that I've I've been very clear on Twitter about. He scares me because of the combination of the size and the injury history, and it's just not it's not a great history for guys who are his size who are right handed being productive into their thirties. And a big part of why you would get Sonny Gray is because he still has two years of control left after this. And so presumably you'd be getting him for the next three pennant races or whatever, but counting on him to stay healthy and productive through all that seems at least a large part wishful thinking to me. So I'm just not interested in paying that price. And I'm glad that things have kind of cooled on that front. JP. Yeah. I think everything in terms of Sonny Gray became very narrative driven. As soon as everybody kind of figured out that Derek Johnson was his, college coach that everybody started dropping that the brewers were going to be more motivated than everybody else because they were so familiar with Sonny gray that Derek johnson was was familiar with him through his time at vanderbilt and it, it never really made sense i think the brewers were very interested in Sonny gray if they didn't have to include lewis brinson and being able to put together a package that doesn't include lewis brinson doesn't really look that attractive from the A's standpoint, especially if they have the Astros, they have the Yankees, they potentially have the Indians being involved. I I don't necessarily know what kind of package the Brewers were going to put together that had a lot of star power because, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about the the Brewers farm system. The, the biggest strength of the Brewers farm system is depth. It is crazy deep. and But in terms of being guys that could potentially be perennial all-stars, it's about it's Lewis Brinson and, you know, maybe one or two other guys. And that's about it. it everybody else, a lot of mid rotation starters, a lot of like second division starters in terms of position players. Um, and so if, if you're the ace, if anybody were to be looking at, say, you know, looking back last year and saying, we're going to trade Jonathan Lucroy. And you looked at the Brewers system right now. If you didn't include Lewis Brinson, all of us would tell you to get lost. And so it's one of those things that, you know, brewers like their own prospects better than most because we're used to them and we follow them on the box scores. But it's also important to think about what other teams are looking for. And for the A's, I don't see any legitimate trade that doesn't include either Domingo Santana or doesn't include Lewis Brinson. And the brewers don't want to do that. Yeah. 
Um, okay, a couple other names. Uh, the Tigers are shopping guys. Justin Verlander, uh, Ian Kinsler. Um, any thoughts on those guys? I I think there's a little bit of surprise when the Brewers were connected to Kinsler. I think we thought that second base was not something. I mean, VR's had a down year, but we weren't expecting them to go out and like trade for an Ian Kinsler type. Do, do either of those guys make sense? Because it seems like the Tigers are going to want the Brewers to eat salary as well as give up prospects for them. Do you want to say no first or do you want me to, JP? I, look, I'm actually going to make Ryan upset because I actually don't think Verlander is a terrible idea. Oh, I don't Be- think Verlander is a terrible idea. I just don't see it happening. But go ahead. Well, I, I think if you look at what the Tigers want, the Tigers want to move his contract. And if there's one thing that the Brewers can do is they can take on money. And the more we see Major League Baseball, as long as you're under the luxury tax, it doesn't seem to me that there are too many scenarios in which teams are having trouble taking on money. There are a lot of teams that want to get rid of money when they're not any good. But if you're getting into a competitive window, there are not very many teams that can't afford to add money. I mean, you have the Twins adding even Jaime Garcia, and yeah, it's $5 million, but the twins are not somebody that take on, on salary. And so if you're looking at the brewers being at about 60 million, 65 million in terms of their, their, uh, their payroll, adding 20 to 25 million into that, they can still go 30 million higher than that, even accounting for, for uh, arbitration raises and things like that. And the only way that it makes sense, obviously, is if you're not having to bring in prospects, if you're having to take on the contract and pay high in prospects, it obviously makes no sense. But if all you really have to do is take on money and you can bring in Verlander to be in the rotation, I I still probably wouldn't do it, but I don't think it's a terrible decision. No, there's a way that that could work, that they could structure it. They would The Tigers would need to take on money because he's owed $28 million next year. He's owed $28 million the year after that. And then there's a $20 million option for 2020 and i'm Mm -hmm. assuming that any trade because verlander is a complete no trade clause any trade of verlander would need to involve picking up that 20 million dollar option and so you're talking about a huge 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 long-term commitment over that time so the tigers would have to pick up some of that money well then you get into okay if they're picking up so much money how much then are the brewers going to have to give up in prospects to get him back I just would be surprised, and it may all be a non-starter anyway because Justin Verlander may say, oh, I have no interest in going to Milwaukee, so it's off the table. The way that Ryan Braun said, I have no interest in going to, you know, three-quarters of the teams in baseball or more. So it could just be completely a non-starter from that perspective too. But also, Kinsler, Kinsler has come out and said that any trade is going to necessitate him getting a new contract. And he has a, I believe he also has an option for next year, a $10 million option, something like that. Yeah, I don't think Ian Kinsler's happening. Yeah. And so like, that just, just seems kind of a non-starter. Yeah. That seems like a total non-starter. If he wants a new contract and he's like 36 ish years old and he wants a brand new contract to get traded. God, is he 36? He's, he's on the older side. Yeah. God, I'm old. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of that, it looked like they were also going after Justin Wilson from the Tigers. Yeah. They just got Swarzak, so they kind of filled a bit of a relief pitching need. I don't know how it even fits with the Brewers. They took yeah. some pressure off, basically. I mean, it sounds like the Tigers, what they were doing is everybody was calling on Justin Wilson, and they were trying to parlay it into somebody taking a contract, too. Which, it's, I mean, if I was the Tigers, that's what I'd do, too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's get on to the farm system here. Um, 
both you guys have your own top fives. You, for the most part, don't know who's on each other's list. So we will go five to one. Um, we'll start with Ryan. If you want to uh, reveal your number five, and then we'll go to JP, and we'll kind of go back and forth like that. So I get to instantly say right off the gate, or right out the gate, that I probably underranked him and would do it differently now. But I'm going to stick with what I originally sent Steve. Um, I have Corey Ray number five in the Brewer system. A guy that I still think a lot of, I think that you have to take a large grain of salt. He is, he has definitely had a disappointing season uh, for Carolina along with a bunch of other hitters at Carolina. However, he basically missed the entire off season last year due to uh, reconstructive knee surgery, doing rehab. I mean, he had even a late start this year because he wasn't hundred percent ready for spring training when it started. So I, I think that the reports of his demise are greatly exaggerated and whatever. I probably should have him a little bit higher than this, but yeah, I, I'm still a huge believer in Corey Ray. Yeah. And the MLB pipeline does have Corey Ray at number 70 on their top 100. So, I mean, he hasn't like fallen out of favor by any means with, well, some people have more fallen out of favor than others. Sure. But you can see that it's not like across the board, he's fallen out of favor with uh, uh, everybody. So uh, JP, who do you have at number five? Uh, so I actually, I didn't want to include this guy in my top five. Uh, and I had, uh, Josh Hader in my top five that we had to remove because he's no longer eligible to be on prospect lists. And I think it was, it was literally today that Hader, yeah, yeah, yeah. just dropped. So, and so Ryan sent a nice, uh, a G chat that told us we needed to, to remove Hader from all of our lists. And I said that I was going to hold this against him forever. Because now I have to put Cor- Corbin Burns in my top five, and I don't want to contribute to the overhyping of a dude. Um, but do it, yeah. I mean, he's a he's 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 a top five in my in in my list right now, so I, I got to stick with it. Uh, he's a guy that everybody loves this year because his stats are high, uh, or well, low actually, because he's a pitcher. But uh, he's been a phenomenal. He's had a phenomenal year, no matter which way you look at it, going through uh, high A, going up to double A, and just basically mowing guys down. The the thing that has made me come around a little bit more on the right-hander is the fact that his, his stuff is supposedly ticked up. It, he's no longer sitting in, in the lower the low 90s. He's now more sitting kind of 93, 94, and he's regularly bumping 97. And the fact that he already shows a little bit of a changeup and, and his slider flashes as well, and his command is very good. That that in itself is a top 100 prospect guy. I'm a little bit worried about the arm action, uh, a little bit worried about his durability, and guys who get velocity increases scare me. And so I didn't want to include him in my top five because I didn't want everybody to go forth and continuously say that this guy is going to be a front-of-the-rotation starter. But... Uh, I also think that if I didn't include him in my top five and the velo- and the velocity increase sticks, I think I'd look pretty stupid. So I'm, I'm going to put him at number five. Well, Keith Law was aggressive with Burns. He put him at 38 at in his uh, midseason top 100. So there are some guys that are on Burns. Obviously, he's not he's not totally under the radar. Um, no, like Keith, Keith Law will. Uh, Keith Law's not not afraid to take a chance here or there. I guess we could say. Uh, so JP, how about you give us your number four? Yeah, I've got Corey Ray at number four. And so 
Corey Ray is a guy who looking back at the 2016 draft, he was one of the kind of the three or four guys that everybody looked at who could be a potential all-star, you know, year in and year out. And he struggled. He struggled in terms of strikeouts. He struggled in terms of average. And I've actually heard some, some scouts this year say that everybody who's seen him does it. He just doesn't, he just doesn't pop. He just doesn't pop on the field. He, he looks like a guy who can really run in center and defensively he looks good, but at the plate, he just really hasn't shown it. But earlier this spring when he was coming back from his injury and he was rehabbing before he got sent out, a couple guys in the Brewers organization were saying he looked absolutely phenomenal and that he was ready to just have a breakout year. So he still has the tools and the fact that he can play in center field is, is a really big plus for him. Do you think and he's so worn I echo down a lot of what Brian has to say on it? Do you think he's worn down at all? Like the fact that he wasn't able to do normal offseason conditioning stuff, like he's maybe just not in tip top shape, like for understandable reasons because of that. Is that a possibility? I, I'm honestly not sure just because I haven't I, I haven't seen him myself and I haven't asked any, yeah. anybody that question. Uh, I know a lot of the concerns on him coming into the year were strikeouts and his ability to handle lefties. And I don't think anything this year has alleviated any of those concerns um but he's still you know he's a premium athlete who if everything's if everything clicks he's he's great i mean he's he's he is a premium prospect if everything clicks and so i think you give him the opportunity to you know find his rhythm again as ryan's talking about you give him the uh, you give him the opportunity to face uh you know professional pitchers because you, you have to remember too that jumping straight up to to high a is a pretty big aggressive promotion right out of the draft too so i have to think if they had that to do again they probably wouldn't do it well i i don't know i mean i think that they did it because they were so impressed with him well we'll see obviously he's a guy that everybody has a lot of interest in as a, a first round draft pick so uh ryan how about you give us your number four you're talking about guys and their shapes and i think your guy definitely <laughs> has a shape so uh I have picked the perennially overlooked, forgotten Luis Ortiz to be my number four prospect in the system. Um, on the good side, Ortiz, he, he won't turn 22 until September, and he's putting up good numbers in double A. Like you can you could see he is he's preventing runs. He is uh, striking guys out at a, a you know reasonable level, not elite level. Walks are a little bit high. So that's a, a little bit of a concern, but he just fails to excite people because he doesn't nothing, nothing that he's done so far since he came over to the Brewers has been exciting. He hasn't done anything except just sort of be him and just sort of consistently put up numbers and, and go out and, you know, and there's, there's longstanding concerns about his ability to stay healthy and his ability to stay in shape. So I think people sort of consistently overlook him, even though he really he he's been fine. There's there's no reason to to get super concerned about anything with the performance. But um, and the stuff is, by all accounts, very, very good. So he has the upside of, you know, maybe a, a better upside than anybody else in the system in terms of top of the rotation stuff. So. Uh, we just have to kind of keep waiting and seeing where he heads next. JP, you don't look uh, convinced about that. Well, I, I don't think that he necessarily has 
has the highest upside in terms of stuff. But otherwise, I agree with a lot of what what Ryan's saying. Yeah. Ryan, okay. What's your number three? So I now get to contribute to the overhyping of Mr. Corbin Burns by putting him number three in my ranking. You um, tell me he's a potential ace. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a shit. Aren't, wait, wait, wait! <laughs> aren't all pitching prospects potential aces? Yes, all no. of them. <laughs> I thought every guy was gonna be an ace except for the ones that got injured, which was all of them. Yeah, that's that's my understanding of the situation. Um, so anyway, the thing with Burns, and it is it is largely based on performance. But we had, a, we had a discussion about this several weeks ago. JP and I did uh, via Gchat, I think, when we were talking. And I think that when you, when you have a guy who has an established track record of performance the way he has, and it's, it's not a massive sample at this point, but in 148 minor league innings, so since turning pro last year, you know, around this time, a little bit earlier than this, maybe a, you know, a month earlier than this, 148 innings, and he has a 1.52 ERA. And it's backed up by, you know, fantastic strikeout numbers, you know, very, very solid walk numbers. He generates a lot of ground balls. He is uh, keeps guys from making good contact against him, so the, the home run numbers are, are very, very low. When you have that and you have the profile that, talked about where he has some very legitimate stuff i think that you can start talking about nudging a guy ahead because of really 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 ridiculous performance because sometimes stuff does just play up sometimes it, it guys are better than what you know the initial thing the initial uh, assessments are and yeah the, we should be taking a step back because of the the increased velocity and being a little bit cautious with that but when you have a guy who's established that level of performance i think that you know being somewhat excited about it when they're when it's backed up by by the the uh the scouting information that we have i think it's it's okay to get excited about that it's okay to be you know a little bit bullish on that i i i think it's okay to to, to be excited about it. Right. Like I, I'm not, I'm not here to, to rain on too many people's parade. Um, just, I mean, yeah, I am. Um, I certainly am. Um, but like, I think when, when you start to look at established track records for stats to make an assertion that somebody has the ability to outpitch their stuff, that is that, that is what how you use stats to create a narrative to, to build something that you want to go with. And that's extremely dangerous to me because as soon as because the counter arguments to it are always buffered by, you know, but he's got these stats or may, it's got to show something that, you know, you can't put your finger on that's intangible. And, and I get the argument, but in terms of, you know, he's got he's he's got a really, really quick arm that he can sometimes put a lot of stress on. And, and sometimes it's a violent delivery. And so like those things don't go away just because you have good stats. Like those type of reliever profiles don't necessarily go away because you have good stats. And, and I understand that he's, he's got a relatively young arm in a lot of respects. Um, and he clearly has good, good command. 
and I'm not saying I think he could be a, a legitimate like mid rotation starter. And I'm so far ahead of where I was with Corbin Burns than say like a month ago. And you know, Ryan can attest to that. But there are still a lot of things that make me more concerned. Uh, and I should say that Corbin Burns is my top, you know, he's my top rated pitcher in in the system right now. Um, so I'm not I'm I'm not trying to say that I don't think good things about him. I think we just need to be careful on the things that we try to assert with pitching prospects um, just because the stats look good. Yeah, I should be careful when I say that. I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to outpitch his stuff. I'm saying that because of what we're seeing with the numbers starting to really pile up and stack up, that you could start considering that as a legitimate possibility. That we to be wary of the idea that it's you know it very easily could not happen, but also to keep be mindful of the idea that yeah this this may be what we're seeing. We might be seeing a guy that's going to do that, and so it's worth I think a nudge forward. Okay, well I have a feeling that Burns is going to come up quite a bit moving forward when we're talking prospects. So uh, we will move on to uh, JP. Give me your number three. Uh, I've got Isan Diaz at number three. Um, because we go through a lot of these things with prospects and, you know, Corey Ray, everybody talks about the fact that he can play in center, but he's got, you know, he's got strikeout issues. He's got issues. Maybe he can't handle lefties, things like that. The one thing that nobody really has a lot of questions on is whether Isan Diaz can hit. He can strike out some because he, he sometimes sells out for power, but the swing path is good. He, he looks the part in BP he can really barrel up the ball. And I haven't had any scouts that have gone to see Isan Diaz and come back and tell me that he's an average hitter. Everybody goes and says that he, it like even his hit tool, everybody talks about how much he's striking out this year. Like when we acquired Isan Diaz from the Diamondbacks, like there is, there is a non Brewers team that had a potential, uh, had a potential seven on his, on his uh, hit tool, like in the big league level, not in the, not in the minors. And so, He's a guy that I really like a lot. Uh, and I, you know, I, I know that everybody's going to look at the stats and everybody's going to freak out about that. But Isan Diaz is Ryan knows like he's a guy ever since that the Brewers have, have acquired him that I've loved the bat. I've loved it when I've seen it. I like the video and the scouts ever that everybody talks to or that I talk to, like they all love it. So Isan Diaz forget the forget the stats he's up at number three for me well and he's gotten the robinson cano comps correct <laughs> yeah yeah he's got the robinson cano comps and so you know i guess you can't necessarily uh forget those after those came up yeah um yeah he would have been my six so yeah i mean i'm i think that a lot of the offensive struggles of the players in general down at carolina are getting overblown i think it's somewhat a product of park at least so I think and league. So I think that, yeah, they, Diaz is still one of the very top guys in the system. Okay. So uh, moving on, uh, JP, give me your number two. Uh, I have, I have Kesson Hira because I haven't seen, there aren't too many swings that I like more than what I've seen from Kesson Hira. Um, dude's going to hit already has hit throughout his college career, throughout his pro career, even though it's only been like a month. Um, everybody freaks out about the fact that he hasn't thrown and that he might need Tommy John surgery, but you don't need a big arm to be able to handle second base. And he has the athleticism to handle second. 
And, you know, I have a non, I had somebody that's not with the Brewers and I say not with the, uh, a scout, not with the Brewers because I don't need anyone from the Brewers organization yelling at me. Um, so that said that if Kesson Hero would have been able to play defense this year, he would have been in conversation for number one pick of the whole draft. Like the bat is legit. He's probably going to get there faster than Nissan Diaz, who I have there at number three in terms of the big leagues, if he doesn't need Tommy John surgery. Um, like I know that we're not supposed to blow guys up too much, but like I, there haven't been too many offensive prospects that I haven't been worried about in terms of a hit tool, uh, more than hero. Okay. Uh, now we'll go to our first, uh, fan question. I'm going to call the first guy a fan, uh, from Enrico Palazzo. (laughs) He might be our biggest fan. Um, so first, first review. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, check us out on iTunes. He's got the first review on there. Uh, he asks, does Keston Hira make Ison Diaz expendable or are they just people who aren't dead yet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he necessarily makes him expendable uh, because I don't think necessarily we know where Ison Diaz is going to play defensively or even Keston Hira because if, if, if Hira's arm ends up being legitimate, there's a chance that he could actually work out in center field. Um, but I think, you know, he's even said himself he's most comfortable in second base. So I think that's probably where he ends up. But Isan Diaz is also athletic where he's even spent some time at shortstop and looked pretty good at shortstop. So uh, I don't think that you really look at guys being expendable until they're up in the upper minors uh, yeah. and producing in the upper minors. So, I was just going to so say, no, there's... but he is not dead yet. So that's an, <laughs> that's an important thing to say. Yeah. In terms of expendability, I just wrote something about this on Disciples of Euchre last week, uh, getting into this idea. And basically... Nobody is until you're actually legitimately at the big league level and you there's not a place for you to play at all. And you've been killing it and showing you are more than ready for like a year in triple A. There's no need to ever move anybody. You don't need to move a guy because there's like you have a lot of people at a certain position in the system. I mean, you can do that. You have the flexibility to be able to do it. But there's nothing pushing a team to do it, and there's absolutely no reason to. Yeah, you you don't have to, you don't have to make room or whatever until that decision comes down. And like you said, we don't know where either one of them is going to end up sticking yet. There's been talk of, as you know, Hira ending up in the outfield potentially, maybe playing center field. There's lots of different things that could still happen well down the line. So yeah, there's absolutely right. no reason to like push to move anybody or whatever. Just you know, let them go through their paces and. They will right. be fine. And we had we had our big national nightmare known as Miguel Diaz being taken in the Rule Five draft. Uh, that happened in which everybody freaked out that the Brewers did not protect Miguel Diaz, and he was and he was taken. And the only time that guys become expendable per se is a lot like what we just saw with Ryan Cordell being being shipped off for for Anthony Swarzak. When when there's just not room on the forty man roster, that's when you need to start deciding whether or not guys need to go because that's going to become an issue with such a deep farm system that the Brewers have. Uh, There's just not going to be room year after year on the 40 man roster. There are guys going to be available every single year on the rule five draft. And so that's the only time to me that things become more of an expendable, like an expendability issue. It's not in terms of guys being at the same, you know, being at the same position in, in a ball or something like that. But even then, if you have a guy who's good enough, having a guy taking up a 40 man spot, who's a legitimate potential, you know, starting uh, first division starter 
you never really worry about that. It's more of the marginal right. players that you worry about taking up 40 man spots. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll keep it moving. Uh, Ryan, who do you have at number two? I have Brandon Woodruff at number two. Um, and this one probably more than anything is, has been sort of a product of him. Oh, am I getting the eye from him? You're getting, you're getting the stink eye from getting JP. the stink eye. Yeah, you okay. are. Um, this one, it, he has progressed up and has shown the ability to handle level after level after level. And one of the things that he probably there's there's a pretty good chance he's he's limited to you know middle of the rotation uh, type upside. You're not worried about his wonky hamstring? <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> we can we can wait to worry about his wonky hamstring. Um, but no, it, I think that sometimes proximity to the majors gets undervalued and the the speed with which he moved up the system and has put himself in a position and has shown sort of the ability to handle every level and move up has him in a position and because starting pitching is just so difficult to find and just so difficult to get I think that you can you can overlook maybe more middling stuff there are definitely you know a number of players with higher upside than he has in the system, but the proximity argument, the fact that he is, he is that close to being there. And the fact that, you know, there's legitimate big league velocity there. He has, uh, it touches the high nineties and sits in the mid nineties. And you have legitimate, uh, legitimate big league stuff there. So yeah, you can okay. kind of, I'm going to cut you off because I know JP's got he's, some he's views just itching. and he's itching to get he's into this itching. one. Okay. So let us, let us know why Ryan is wrong about <laughs> having Brandon Woodruff at number two in the Brewer system right now. Brandon Woodruff is fine. It's just if, if proximity to the big leagues is the primary indicator here, I, I don't see of much of a difference between, say, double A and triple A. So I'd rather have Luis Ortiz and I'd rather have Corbin Burnson than Brandon Woodruff. Um, in terms of stuff, I'd rather have those two over Brandon Woodruff as well. Um, and in terms of just like Brandon Woodruff is the type of guy that I'm worried that I have a lot of the same worries that I had with Corbin Burns in terms of like, he's a, he's a pop-up guy and his stuff by all accounts was a little bit better last year than it is this year. And I like him. I actually think that he could be a, probably a, a, a solid number four starter. Um, the fact that I don't think he's the number two prospect in the Brewer system does not mean that I don't think he can be a productive big leaguer. It's just, I, I just was surprised because I thought that Ryan was a guy who was going to go for upside more than anything because you know, I just so thought, I thought, so this, I this I knew, is well, and Keston here is not in his top five, which I think is ridiculous. Well, exactly. OK, so this is the most boring pick of all the guys so far we've had. Yes. Woodruff is boring. Yeah. And here not being in the top five is probably going to look bad in about. Yeah. yeah like two months. <laughs> it's not going to. That's two gonna, weeks ago. Two yeah. weeks well, ago. Two weeks ago. Too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So arguing over those two, I will point out that MLB Pipeline has Hira at ninety-seven in their top one hundred, and they have Brandon Woodruff at ninety-six in their top one hundred. I'd like to point out that some of those people apples? who made that MLB Pipeline list don't agree with that. 
Well, you know what? All I have is one list to go off of. I don't have all their individual <laughs> opinions. So that's uh, just what we got to deal with. Okay, I'm going to spoil number one because it's consensus across the board. I think wherever you look, Lewis Brinson is easily the number one prospect in this system. Um, yeah. Now, I know he had a little bit of a, a tough debut. He was kind of fighting for playing time at best. He was getting kind of an at-bat here and there. So it's hard to even say that he got a shot when he was called up. Yeah, barely a shot. Yeah, it was barely yeah. a shot. Um, so I guess what makes Brinson the number one prospect in the system and uh, why should we be excited when he finally does get the call up for good? The thing that makes him the number one prospect in the system is because his floor is really, really high. Um with a combination of some really high ceiling. And the reason the floor is super high is because he is a great defender and is likely to be, you know, a, a two to three ish win defender on his own in center field. So like before you even start talking about the bat, the defense is going to be so good that basically he, he doesn't even need to do that much with the bat to be useful. And he does have massive, massive power and some idea of what he's doing with it. So if he does, if it all clicks, you potentially have a, you know, perennial all-star. JP. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he's, he's, he's the impact guy. Like he is the guy who plays a premium position, hits for more power than you would expect from a normal center fielder though. These days, maybe that's a little bit different than, you know, than it was a few years ago. Um, But uh, the way that I actually think about Lewis Brinson a lot is the biggest question mark with him is the fact of whether or not he's going to be able to make enough contact. And if that is the bar, in my mind, the way I've always liked to think about it is his floor is a lot like what we've seen from Keon Broxton. And Keon Broxton has gone through stretches of being actually quite productive. And I know that Keon Broxton's a guy that people don't like because he's he's striking out a lot. But if that's like if that's the floor... I think that you have a potential to to be a pretty special player. Um, I okay, think that. Hold on, I'm going to interrupt you real quick because yeah, we do yeah, have yeah. a Twitter question right here, okay. and, and you're kind of already answering it. Okay, so this is from uh, at Beer the Deer. Uh, <laughs> if Brinson were to be called up to take over the everyday job in center fielder, what's the likelihood he outplays Broxton? The the likelihood that he outperforms Broxton is. I guess I don't necessarily have Broxton's numbers in front of me, but I actually don't think it's all that high um, in terms of what Broxton's done this year, because I think Broxton's been about 15 stolen bases, 15, uh, 15 home runs is hitting 230, 240, somewhere in there. So I, I, yeah, he would definitely outperform the the bad Brinson or the, the bad Broxton, but there have been multiple stretches this year in which Keon Broxton has just been unbelievable for about two or three three weeks that has carried his numbers uh, a lot higher than I think what the average fan would maybe predict. Well, and I how, think how we does need... Brinson's defense compared to Broxton's? I think it's better. Like significantly? I, it, I th- well, I think it has the potential to be significantly better. I don't necessarily know how it, how it would look in a, you know, right this moment in which the same reason that people kind of got on Orlando Arcia's case for, booting a couple of balls and not necessarily being a, a gold glove shortstop the you know the second that he reached the big leagues uh even though you know I, i'd say after a maybe a course of an entire year he's already showing that he's a phenomenal defender so i think that those things 
can normalize pretty quickly. Um, but I hesitate to say that anybody can really step onto a big league field and be plus anything immediately. Okay. Well, I think the discussion here also needs to include Brett Phillips because he is going yeah. to be a part of this this mix as well as we go forward. And I think that for at least the rest of the season, you definitely want to make sure that Phillips is getting a good number of at-bats at the big league level. And I would actually prioritize making sure he's getting them at this point over Brinson, which seems a little bit weird. Um, I think that Phillips is a little bit more immediately ready. So as long as the Brewers are in contention and pushing things forward that way, I think I, I shade a little bit towards Phillips. If they do fall out of it, then you definitely start, you know, making sure you get at bats for both of them as, you know, August and September wears on. I think we'll be seeing a good helping of both of them. And I think that's the way it should be. Well, and let's be honest, Domingo Santana made this a lot more difficult by, you know, I think people were kind of willing to give him a chance and expecting him to flame out. And then all of a sudden he's been one of the most consistent hitters past the first was like three weeks, got off kind of a slow start since then. He's been great. So, um, and I, I put myself in that camp. I Domingo Santana has been far better this year than I thought he was going to be. Same. I, I mean, his, his, his bat path has improved so much and thinking a little bit about what you said in terms of Brinson first came up and he got sporadic at bats, but didn't perform well. And so got sent back down. I think a lot of people allowed that to shape, uh, they get frustrated when top prospects, you know, elite prospects come up and aren't immediately great. Um, and so Domingo Santana, you mean Cody Bellinger doesn't happen every time a guy gets called up? I, I, or Aaron right, Judge. Or, well, no, we went over Judge. Yeah, the, the fictional Aaron Judge we versus looked, the real Aaron Judge. We looked at Aaron Judge, and Judge had a pretty poor debut last year when he got called up. But He did. He did. And Domingo Santana is somebody that everybody is saying could potentially be you know, a long-term option in right field. And I think that he's proving himself to be a legitimate option in right field, even, to his, even though his defense is a little bit shaky. But his, his debut for uh, Houston, didn't he strike out like, 13 times in a row or something like that. And every, and then he immediately got sent back down. And so everybody threw in the towel on him. Yes. Yep. That's exactly what happened. I don't actually know how many times. It was no, it, he had to... a ton of strikeouts in that initial call up in 2014, yeah. which was all part of his profile. I mean, none of that was like right. surprising either. So right. uh, last question on Brinson, since Brinson was the most interesting uh, topic for, for most people writing in and at igniter kid asked, what more does Lewis Brinson have to prove at AAA? Nothing. Yeah, I don't think much of anything. So, I mean, really, they're just waiting for a spot for him. To they're waiting for consistent up. playing time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a roster crunch issue because if you call him up, what's Brett Phillips going to do? You don't want to platoon anybody, and so you need to find at bats for everybody. And I think that what you've seen with Brett Phillips being called up is the Brewers made up, made the call that Brett Phillips was more ready, which yeah, it's debatable, but I think it's certainly Phillips has kept his head above water in his initial at bats here in the big leagues. Well, I mean, was there a little worry that if Brinson comes up and hits, it just blocks Phillips and you never get a chance to see him in the major leagues. I mean, maybe, but then he becomes a a really nice trade chip. I think the fact that he's a lefty, a left-handed hitter in the outfield where everybody else out there, when it's, when it's Perez, you've got Braun, you've got 
uh, you've got Santana as well. Having a left-handed option in center field is, is attractive as well. I do think that he was immediately called up because he was somebody who could platoon with, with Broxton. And then when Broxton just couldn't get it going, I think they just had no other option. They felt that they didn't have an option other than sending him down. Uh, but I think that Phillips left-handedness was the biggest reason he got called up uh, again. Okay, so that is it for our top fives, uh, both Ryan and, and JP's top five. So uh, let's move on. We have listener questions. So again, this is what we want. We want people to, you know, contact us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate or, you know, send us email questions at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Um, the more we know what everybody else wants to hear about, we'll make sure we cover all those topics uh, during the course of the podcast. And we don't always have you know, top five prospect lists to talk about. So we need something to, to keep the conversation going. So anyways, okay, so this is kind of looking to 2018. Um, but I got to give Eric here credit. He was the first question we received. Oh, yeah, so, thank you, Eric. So he's, he's getting the top billing here. Uh, of the players on the 25-man roster this year, who do you see on the team in 2018 and beyond? And similarly, what positions need an upgrade next year and beyond. So I, I think it's more a matter of like, who's the core of this team moving forward? Because obviously 25 gets a little difficult. You're juggling guys in the bullpen and you're kind of managing 40 man roster. So you don't uh, want us to rank our 25, our 25 players on the 25 roster. Uh, no, let's just talk <laughs> about who, who, who are the core guys that we're definitely going to see sticking around in 2018 and beyond. I, I, for for my side, I think one of the most interesting things about the Brewers roster is that everybody's coming back in terms of position players. Everybody's under control. And so do you, you think they the will keep all of them, though? Will they do? Will they actually bring them all back? So I think somebody significant is going to get traded. I just don't really want to hazard a guess at who that would be. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I actually thought the long-term plan this year was either to trade Broxton or Santana. And I think that Broxton, you know, got cold at the wrong time. And I think Santana was too good. And because I think they wanted to trade one of them to, to make a spot for Brinson. And they wanted to address something in the rotation via Broxton or Santana being traded. And, you know, it just didn't quite work out that way for, for good and bad reasons. Well, and again, um, Santana's not that old either. So, yeah, he's no, been in the no, majors no. for a few years, but he's 24. Yeah, I would say he's younger than – We're talking. I think about, he's younger than Brett Phillips, isn't he? I'd, I'd have to check. I Wait, think Ryan's got it up. What is it? But he's just – Santana's 24, yes. This is the age 24 season. And Phillips is? Phillips is 23. Yeah. Age 23 season. And I think Brinson's right, 23. Yes. Something so, like that. Brinson yeah, so, also, I mean, all these guys are around the same age. I mean, the only thing you're talking about is Santana's got more service time. Right. So, right. And I, I think that the biggest thing that they'll need to address is pitching and a lot of other options they have coming through the system in terms of if they really need somebody else to second base, they could give Mauricio Dubon a shot. Uh, I think that I don't think so guards long-term, a uh, long-term solution. Um, you know, I think VR is a, is a good utility guy. Um, you know, if not more, if he can find something, if he can put something together long term. Um, but that second base is maybe the only place that they're going to really look to do something outside the organization. But otherwise, pitching, it, both starting and relieving, I think that they're going to look outside the organization to really find some help there. Okay, uh, next question. It's a fantasy question. I'm trying to move Aaron Judge of my fantasy keeper league. 
If I got Yelich and Hosmer plus a pitching prospect, do you think that's enough? That one's from Troy. JP, you're the one who's written the most about fantasy. Uh, it depends on who the pitching prospect is. I mean, Yelick is fantastic. Yelick, Yelick's fantastic. I think one of the things that people don't look at enough in terms of fantasy is batting average. If you do, if your league doesn't use batting average and you use on base percentage, obviously, you know, don't regard this. But batting average is so difficult to come back from. And I know that Judge has been really good in terms of his batting average this year. But Yelick is somebody that can contend for a batting title every single year. Um, so if you can do Yelick and then you can get a legitimate pitching prospect. I don't mean, you know, somebody middling because pitching prospects are fickle, but if you can get a really high end guy, I'd actually think that that's not a bad trade whatsoever. Um, you even couple, judge, you have a couple, come back couple names, pitching prospects, <laughs> couple names. Uh, or am I putting you on the spot a little too much there? Well, I, I mean, gonna, Brandon I Woodruff might be available. <laughs> no, you're not doing it for Brandon Woodruff. Um, you're not doing it for Corbin Burns either. And he's like my top guy. You're not even doing it for Josh Hader. Uh, I think if you can get somebody like Alex Reyes from, from the Cardinals, uh, I think that that's, you know, that's excellent. Um, and under the radar name, if you're looking for somebody a little bit further down, Cal Quintrell for, uh, for, um, the Padres, excellent, excellent arm. Um, but yeah, there are some really high end guys coming through Forrest Whitley with, uh, with the Astros, um, one of the best arms coming through the system this year. And some guys might not be high enough on him yet. So you might be able to swing something there. Uh, but those would be some, I don't know. Those are off the top of my head. Sure. Yeah. Unless you know the league, it's kind of hard to say. So, yeah. Okay. Moving on. Uh, hi, JP and company. Thrilled you're doing this podcast for a prospect segment. Are you hearing anything on Clint Coulter? He's producing some solid peripherals and is still young for double A. Any chance there's a role beyond a uh, useful organizational depth for Coulter. And that is from Nick Zettel, our buddy. Go ahead, Ryan, you take that one. Um, it's hard to see him having a much of a path in the, the way that the Brewers outfield is currently constructed and what's coming up along with it. It's hard to see him really carving out a niche here. I do think that he's definitely one of those guys who could develop into a starter down the road, but, it's going to be still probably a year or two down the road that you would see something like that. I mean, if Mitch Hanniger can come back and become what Mitch Hanniger has become, then Clint Coulter certainly can too. I think there's, there's no question about that. I just don't think that that opportunity will ever probably come in Milwaukee. Okay. Back to some Twitter questions. Is it too soon to say the Brewers replacements for Lucroy Maldonado at the catching position have been every bit their equal? And that's from, at Bob Waite on Twitter. So has Pina and who else is currently back there? Bandy and well, Vote. Bandy, Bandy Vote. Yeah. I well, in terms of Lucroy, no. I'm this year perhaps because Lucroy's actually had a down year, but I don't I think that saying Manny Pena is at the same level as, as Jonathan Lucroy severely undersells how good Jonathan Lucroy was with the Brewers. Well what um, about Maldonado? Maldonado's actually had a great year. He he's done really well with the Angels. Um, I'm super happy for him. Super happy that he's had an ability to to get every day, you know, every day at bats and really be the starting catcher. Um, but I think Manny Pena has been every bit as good as as Martin Maldonado. So yeah, I think that you know, and it's weird because Manny Pena was the the player to be named later in the K Rod trade. Like he was a guy who kind of was an afterthought. Um, for a, a mid-year relief flip 
and he's turned out to be a really he's great defensively uh you know and he's kind of got the martin maldonado can kind of run into something on the pull side if you make a mistake uh offensive profile and so yeah he's been a really really nice find for the brewers yes nothing to add (laughs) (laughs) okay whatever uh moving on sir alex mergeson asks with dubon not slowing down at shortstop in triple a what might be the plan for his future september call-up or wait for spring training next year, play him at second base, or is he potentially traded? I would think that we will, there's a chance we'll see him in September. I, I don't know that there's any necessary rush to do it. I think that by the middle of next year, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was playing a utility role. The way that council likes to use his bench, where he's kind of moving guys around in multiple positions and making sure that guys, there aren't really, you know, true bench players he tries to make sure guys get regular starts i could see dubon getting in uh regularly at second base if if people like vr haven't turned it around or if you know other options haven't been explored i could see him getting in even as as soon as next year um ultimately i think he's going to be a fantastic utility guy and in his best years probably very worthy of starting but i don't know if it's if he's necessarily ready to be that good next year Probably not, but somewhere down the line. Yeah, on my end, I actually like Dubon. He's somebody that I'm higher on now than when they first acquired him, just based on on things I've heard. And I don't think he'll be up this year because I think the one issue with the September call-up is you'd have to make room for him on the 40-man roster because he's not currently there. Mm -hmm. And that's not really something you want to mess with too much unless there's an obvious solution if somebody goes on the 60 day dl or something like that then maybe you can make some room but with how much rotation has been happening in the pitching staff especially in the bullpen uh you know maybe that'll be addressed in the next week i i don't know but you don't want to start using up 40-man roster spots if you don't have to even though dupont is going to have to hit the 40-man roster this winter to avoid rule five stuff so i mean maybe he does get called up a little bit earlier but i like him as a as a long-term you know ernan perez sort of utility guy who can play some outfield play some infield and and a good overall fielder i like him a lot okay uh last twitter question uh this is from at kevin garshinsky the guy i know um And he asks, uh, will any others from the 2017 draft class crack the top 30? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Tristan Lutz is, yeah, he's close to the top 10, if not in it, depending on. I haven't actually sat down and done a full ranking. Well, generally after a draft, how many of those guys are slotted into, like, a top 30? I mean, because... Well, I say it depends on your system. If you're the Angels, uh, a lot, all of them, <laughs> yeah, two thirds of them, them. <laughs> May, yeah, maybe, maybe all of them. Um, I, I actually have done a top, a full top thirty because once we started to do the top five, I couldn't help myself. And uh, someone's so, an overachiever. No, I just, I, I, yeah, all right. <laughs> um, I, I currently have uh, four four in my top 30 MLB pipeline actually has five. Um, but I only, I have four, I have, I have, uh, lots in my top 15 and then, um, both Caden lemons and, and KJ Harrison in, in the top 30. So, I mean, if you think about the draft, the first say two, three rounds combined, that's about a hundred players. 
And so if they're the top 100 players that are going to be taken in the whole 2017 draft, there are going to be a good handful of them that are going to make top 30 lists for the vast majority of, of teams just because, number one, you haven't seen them fail yet. They're nothing but upside. And so they tend to, when mid, mid-year mid lists get released, more of them end up making the list than maybe a year afterwards once some some guys have proven that they can't necessarily make the transition to pro ball all that well. Uh, you know, more injuries happen. That's what we've seen with Nathan Kirby and why he's fallen out of the top 30 because he just can't get on the mound. Uh, so things like that happen. Okay, final question. This is from Brian. He's a student at UW-Madison. He says, hey, guys, thanks for creating the podcast. Look forward to listening. Uh, obviously, the Brewers' management took full advantage of the buy-low, sell-high market when rebuilding last year, especially with regards to the bullpen. It's quite amazing the Brewers were able to sell two guys as closers in Smith and Thornburg for some great talent. With that, I was wondering how Brewers management is approaching stocking a competitive bullpen. We've been very active on the waiver wire, have put some trust in our minor league arms, but do you think we will try to buy a few bullpen arms this season or upcoming offseason? Well, I predict they're going to get Anthony Swarzak. <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, no, I... I think that a big part of this general plan is they're going to try to bring guys up through the system. And I think they've got a, a very, you know, healthy list of guys who are very close to being big league ready right now, who could potentially be plus relievers in fairly short order, like by next year, if things were to break, right. Once you get past Josh Hader, who I think, and I, I, I don't know. I think they're going to give him a chance to start at some point. I don't know. That's probably almost certainly not going to be this year, but quite possibly next year. But maybe he ends up in the bullpen long term anyway. But guys like Jorge Lopez, um, Taylor Williams, who's come back nicely from uh, Tommy John surgery. Um, guys like uh, in that sort of grouping, these guys, I think, have a chance to be, you know, the next generation of really good relievers. And it could be, you know. We could see guys like Taylor Youngman join that group, or even everybody's favorite old uh, throwback, Wee Chung Wang, who's having a good season in AAA, like as potentially a lefty specialist. So He's I think they're great. I mean, do you like his potential in the next year or two to come up as a bullpen arm? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when he was taken in the Rule Five draft, there were actually people that put him as a as a you know a number four and number five starter. And, you know, some of his off-speed pitches haven't necessarily progressed as much as they would like to be able to handle right-handed pitching or right-handed hitting. But, you know, everybody got this picture of what Wong was. And it was unfair because he was pitching in rookie ball and all of a sudden got chucked up to the majors and then was told to pitch twice a month. And then everybody got upset that he couldn't pitch well. And that was just an unrealistic expectation to put somebody in and I thought it was a creative use of a roster space, but you know, it ended up not being executed very well. Um, but I do think that I do think that there are multiple guys in in the organization that could be good relievers. But I think that the one thing that people need, especially people who kind of came up in the the mid to late '90s kind of sabermetric revolution in which relievers were seen as just you know spaghetti you threw at the wall and you just see what you, you kind of had to see what stuck um elite relievers are uh underpriced on the on the free agent market and 
considering what they've been bringing back in the trade market, if you're a, if you're a low market, if you're a small market team like the Brewers, you can invest in somebody like, you know, Andrew Miller for what was it? 4 years, 40 million dollars or might not even have been that much. Um and then have an elite arm at the back end of your bullpen and if you do need to trade him, I mean they got Clint Frazier for him. Um I believe they got Clint Frazier for him. Uh, yes. Yeah. Frazier and, from the Indians to the Yankees. Yeah. 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 And so like, those are the type of guys that make an overall pitching staff go from, you know, potentially being mediocre to being above average. That's how the, that's how Baltimore did it for years. That's how Baltimore was able to trot out guys like Ubaldo Jimenez, Chris Tillman. I don't even remember half the other people that they had. Um, but nobody that special. And we're able to consistently be able to be good enough pitching wise because their bullpen was so good and they didn't have to spend a lot of money for it. So I do think that that's one place that you'll see the Brewers potentially buy in free agency. Uh, what are the chances that they take this hater approach and bring guys into the bullpen to break them in? I actually think it's a pretty good chance because there's not going to be a lot of spaces in the rotation and you just can't have people sitting in, in AAA Colorado Springs if you can help it because that's not a good place, especially if you've got good breaking stuff. That is not a place you want somebody with, you know, like uh, Jorge Lopez. That's not somebody you, you don't want somebody with a, uh, an overhand curveball changing their mechanics because they can't get it to break in the altitude. That's just, that's not something that you want. And the brewers themselves at the BP ballpark event last year. And so they said it publicly. So I, you know, I, I can repeat it there. That they, that they said they wanted out of Colorado Springs. They kind of laughed about it when they were asked if they wanted to get out, and they said yes, and it just didn't work out for whatever, you know, for whatever odd business reason. They just couldn't find another place to go. Um, and so that's that's going to be the one way that you can try to get somebody up into the, the big league system, and you might see that with somebody like Taylor Williams. Phil Bickford's another guy you might see there. I do think Cody Medeiros is is you know the former first round pick he's he could be a lethal lefty reliever um i'm not necessarily sold on if he can handle righties yet but lefties are just gonna have fits against him and so he's somebody that can come up as a reliever as well everything wiggles that was the line on him everything wiggles yeah and and the reason part of the reason why his command is so is so bad is that because everything moves so much like he just has a hard time throwing strikes because even his fastball, you know, it, it, it's not a straight fastball. Every, everything moves. Everything moves, including his arm. It, it's just a weird delivery. Um, but lefties, if you watch like the highlights on ML, uh, MILB.com, that's a tough one. Um, it, that if you watch the highlights on him, lefties just give up. Yeah, they're hopeless. Yeah. There's no, there's no chance of hitting like... <laughs> of getting a hit off of him unless you just stick a bat out and get lucky. Yeah. I mean, the like sliders can start off behind lefties and end up in the strike zone. So yes. it's, it's, it's a tough scenario for, for anybody coming up that way. So I do think that they'll have some guys in the system coming up, but I actually do think you'll see people either via the trade market or via the, the free agency market that they'll actually try to buy some really good bullpen arms. Yeah. They, I think they could, yeah, maybe buy one kind of top end. And I think they like to keep, guys that they can roll through because they're definitely in this new modern trend of trying to use the bottom end of your bullpen to just run through like three or four different guys on sort of a rotating basis 
so that you always have fresh arms and that you always have guys who can sort of soak up innings. Okay. Well, I think that's what everybody wanted to hear is a lot of reliever talk to end this podcast. So uh, that is with it. And yeah, we started and ended the bookends with the uh, relievers there. So uh, that is going to do it for episode one of Milwaukee's tailgate. Um, Again, I just want to give a shout out to sound devices. They uh, hooked us up with the mix pre six. That's what we're recording on here. Again, you can go to sounddevices.com for some more information on their gear. Uh, great for podcasting, great for musicians who are just looking to record around the house, obviously professional gear as well. So again, that's sounddevices.com. And also, if you want to get a hold of us, we want questions, hit us up on Twitter at, at MKE Tailgate or email us at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. And then also Ryan's running the Facebook page if you have any <laughs> specific questions for Ryan. Um, he'll get those. So uh, for JP Breen and Ryan Top, I'm Steve Garshinsky. Uh, look for us again next week at Milwaukee's Tailgate. <laughs>